heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm broadcasting today from Dallas, Texas, in the studios of First Liberty Institute. I want to thank them for hosting us and for the great work they do on behalf of religious freedom in America. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition. On this this night, night, on our 245th year as a nation, I've come to report on the state of the nation, the state of the union. And my report is this. The state of the union is strong because you, the American people, are strong. We are stronger today. We are stronger today than we were a year ago. And we'll be stronger a year from now than we are today. This is our moment to meet and overcome the challenges of our time. Well, the president raised his voice last night in the State of the Union address to almost a shout. He did not raise the hopes of the American people that his administration will do a course correction on policies that have led to crisis abroad and economic hardship at home. We'll take a look at the president's State of the Union address. The president immediately went to the Ukraine crisis in his speech. Let each of us, if you're able to stand, stand and send an unmistakable signal to the world of Ukraine. Did last night's speech send that message? I'll ask Florida Senator Marco Rubio, vice chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, who has been tracking developments in Ukraine very closely. And while the president gave a hat tip to the military. I've always believed that we have a sacred obligation to equip those we send to war and care for those and their family when they come home. Well, the president's administration's, well, their walk doesn't match his talk. We'll talk with First Liberty about a court victory on Monday against the administration on behalf of Navy SEALs and the vaccine mandate. And speaking of the military. Let me be clear. Our forces are not engaged and will not engage in the conflict with Russian forces in Ukraine. We'll talk with our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. He joins me here in studio. And on the COVID front. We can end the shutdown of schools and businesses. We have the tools we need. Is the president waving a white flag on his administration's overreach, or is this more poll-driven messaging? We'll talk with Dr. Aaron Williams, an anesthesiologist who is a part of the People's Convoy headed to D.C. And I'm sure he's not going to be practicing his trade while he's with the convoy. A lot of ground to cover today. If you miss anything, you can find it all later archived at TonyPerkins.com. Our verse from today, our verse for today, rather, coming from our Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan is Leviticus 11.44. For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. The book of Leviticus is often dismissed by Christians or overlooked and as not being relevant, and it's often maligned by those outside the church. But the book is about how the children of Israel were to worship God. The answer is quite simple in holiness. That is a spiritual principle that applies to us today, as Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. To find out more about how you can join our two-year Bible journey plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. President Biden started off his first State of the Union address last night by talking about the situation in Ukraine. 
saying that the fearlessness, courage, and determination of the Ukrainian people, quote, inspires the world. He went on to tout his response to Russia's invasion, invasion, claiming that the U.S. and its allies are, quote, inflicting pain on Russia and supporting the people of Ukraine. We prepared extensively and carefully. We spent months building coalitions of other freedom-loving nations in Europe and the Americas, to, from America to the Asian and African continents to confront Putin. Like many of you, I spent countless hours unifying our European allies. We shared with the world in advance what we knew Putin was planning and precisely how we would try to falsify and justify his aggression. We countered Russia's lies with the truth. And now, now that he's acted, the three free world is holding him accountable. Well, that's certainly one way to look at it, but there may be another here to offer a different perspective to the president's account and two other remarks he made last night is FRC's executive vice president, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who spent the last four years of his 36-year military career serving as a deputy undersecretary of defense for intelligence. He was also one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. General, thanks so much for joining us today. I am delighted to be with you, Tony. So let's jump right into this in the, the president's response to, to Russia last night in the speech. Well, it seemed to me like he was uh, trying to take a lot of credit for some of the things that are happening, uh, particularly the uh, unification of Europe and uh, the even the cooperation that we're seeing within NATO. And I must tell you that I don't think that that's the case. I don't think, I think it's the situation that has driven these people to a, a, a total understanding of what they're up against uh, and how this impacts uh, the, the continent of Europe. And uh, I think it has very little to do with Joe Biden's leadership. But they are unified. They are, they are together now. This is a good thing. But, but is France more driving that unity than the U.S.? France, Macron has uh, has visited with and called uh, and had telephone exchanges with uh, Vladimir Putin. And I, I think that France has stepped up to the plate, which I am glad to see. Right. I'm sorry that it wasn't a, it wasn't our president, but I think France has stepped up. And uh, this is a this is a, a good thing that we're right. seeing now is because this is a European war. Well, and, and, and America cannot go everywhere and solve every problem. But. I mean, there are some that believe that America could have been a greater deterrent to what occurred. And I want to play a, a clip again of uh, the president last night. And he, he stated this every time he speaks about this situation. Play clip number three. Let me be clear. Our forces are not engaged and will not engage in the conflict with Russian forces in Ukraine. So. I mean, obviously, we, we, we don't want our troops to be involved where they don't need to be. But is that right. something you want to signal as uh, as the United States? I mean, you're taking that off the table. Yeah, he has a history now of telling the Russians what he will and won't do. And it is uh, it is not helping this situation. When he gets up and talks about a minor incursion, if it's a minor incursion, that'll be something different. Well, what does that tell uh, a guy like Vladimir Putin? What does that tell him? It tells him that, okay, I can probably go into the east where there's a heavy Russian population and uh, there'll be no real response. And then and then he talks about how he's going to sanction him after he invades. That makes no sense. 
You put sanctions on beforehand, and then if he doesn't invade, you lift the sanctions. But uh, there's, there's so much more that we need to do right now, not the least of which is we need to produce more oil here domestically and and wean ourselves off of Russian oil and gas. Well, and, and that's something the president addressed last night, but his solution to that uh, was not about drilling or opening back up the pipelines or creating those pipelines that he shut down, but rather opening up strategic reserves and encouraging other countries to do the same. I mean, that's not a long-term solution. Yeah. What are strategic reserves for? You know, once you, once you open them, once you start uh, allowing that to be used by the consumers in the country, then you don't have a strategic reserve. Let me ask you as general Boykin, when you look at Putin, and I mean, this guy's been around a while, and you've been on here before we've talked about, this has been on his to-do list for quite some time. This is not, this is not surprising, per se. Does he stop at the border of Ukraine, you know, or does he move beyond Ukraine into other uh, European countries? I think that's the whole point. That's the whole, the big question that uh, NATO and the European nations need to answer. It, will he stop in Ukraine? My answer is long term, no, he will not. I think if Poland or the or the Baltic regions would be next, Romania maybe. Uh, but I think that uh, after a pause to regroup, I think it's only a matter of time until he's going to use those nations uh, and they're, they're going to be next. Do you think he would use nuclear weapons? I don't think a rational... Uh, Vladimir Putin would use a nuclear weapon because of the obvious consequences of it. Uh, but the question is, is he rational? Uh, there are a lot of that say no, that they see uh, changes in his behavior, changes in his demeanor, changes in his action. So I'm really afraid of that. I'm afraid of two things right now. One is, is not just his nuclear weapons, but these ther- thermobaric weapons that he's used. You could destroy cities in no time with those, and you kill everything in there. And uh, we've already seen that he has a propensity to do that, and I think he's doing that now. And the other one is that he'll get bogged down in the cities there, and he'll get so frustrated that he would use a tactical nuclear weapon to try and extricate his forces out of there. Uh, that concerns me as well. So I think that uh, we we have a lot of concerns, which is a, a actually prayer points. We need to be praying against not only this uh, this evil man, but uh, what he could do to the Ukraine. Could this lead to a another world war? Absolutely. I mean, how could it not? Let's just say that he did decide to use a nuclear weapon, and I think that would be the threshold. I think that would that would bring about a global. Uh, conflict is certainly a hemispheric conflict. And uh, yeah, I think we could see a global war. This could get out of control very quickly. And uh, this has already changed the balance of power in that part of the world. And I think that uh, it has every, every earmark of the beginning of a, of a global war. General Boykin, besides what we were talking about from a standpoint of energy independence, which is something that the Trump administration pursued and obtained because before we were concerned about our over-reliance upon Middle Eastern oil mm-hmm. uh, and, and right. the Strait of Hormuz, where so much right. of the oil came through, made us very vulnerable. Um, you know, we solved that problem. But here we now find ourselves yet once again in this situation 
where where we are energy dependent. Mm-hmm. What what are the other steps this administration needs to be taking? Okay, first of all, drill at home, embargo his oil and gas so that he cannot trade, and then uh, get a method to get materiel, lethal materiel into the Ukrainians, which so should become harder. It's coming once they're surrounded. It's going to be much harder, and I'd like to see the plan that they're. I uh, think they're going to use because uh, well, Ru- Russia will control the airspace. Russia will control the airspace. Russia will control uh, everything around these cities unless they can find some some way to get through the Russian lines. So uh, that is something that there needs to be a lot of planning going into how we're going to reply restore them uh, for what they're depleting right now as they're fighting the Russians. And I got to tell you. It's uh, in in many cases, it's too little, too late. We should have done this a long time ago. You know, you know who actually put uh, material in there, lethal material in there was Donald Trump. Yeah. He sent them lethal material. Right. General Boykin, uh, we're up against a break. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us here in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, it's a good, good, beautiful day here in Dallas, Texas. Thanks. Nice and warm, sunny, too. All right, folks, don't go away. Coming back after the break, we'll be moving to our special Defending Freedom Convoy segment, and we continue to track the trucker-led people's convoys. It draws closer to Washington, D.C. I'll be joined next by a doctor who has joined the procession and understand the importance of standing up for our rights. Stick around for more Washington Watch coming up after the break. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and and consequently we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Drace. I am so tired. We all go at breakneck speed, don't we, most of the time. So many demands on us. Listen to Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is essential for a healthy body. It's true for your family, too. Often, too much activity creates excessive stress and frustration. Let us suggest some ways to decompress your home. Every day, have at least one meal together and take time to talk as a family. Find ways to have fun and laugh together. These can renew and revitalize a weary home. When you're weary, teach your children the value of rest and that the best rest can be found when we trust God. He always offers rest for every weary soul. Too tired? Just rest in Jesus. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at HopeForTheHome.org. 
This has been a moment of hope for your home. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married, she was like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about, about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to, you know, use us to minister. There is no one who is closer to you than your spouse, and there is no one who knows you better. And this is by God's design. Marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. Taking a stand. Defending Freedom Convoy. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. For the past week now, we've been closely following the trucker-led People's Convoy as it makes its way peacefully to the District of Columbia. And convoy participants have been uh, providing us with updates along the way while also sharing with us what led them to join this growing movement to stand up against government mandates and overreach. For today's special Defending Freedom segment, I have with me now Dr. Aaron Williams, a board-certified anesthesiologist who knows a thing or two about defending the rights of conscience. Dr. Williams, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you very much for having me today, Tony. Appreciate it. Now, I know t- today you all, uh, the convoy's in uh, in Indiana. It's a, a kind of a day break. Uh, you pick back up, I think, tomorrow to make your way into the metro area of, uh, of Washington, D.C. Um, but let me just jump into this with this question. What prompted you to join the trucker-led convoy? Well, I think, you know, it's... It's that we're all in this essentially together and people don't always realize it, but there's so many of us, so many more, including in the medical field that actually see what's going on and know there's a much bigger picture at play. Well, the details might be fuzzy at times and depending on who you are, you know, everyone can't read the medical studies, but that said, we can still all feel, see, and know that, uh, that things aren't right and that something is going on and that we need to take back our freedoms uh, because day by day, inch by inch, they're trying to be taken away. So we need to all stand together. So no matter whether we're in the medical field, uh, we have lawyers, whether we have have all walks of life, we all need to be coming together. And these truckers are helping to do an amazing thing to try to get recognition, to try to let people know that we're all out there. We're, We're the majority. By far, we're the majority. Even if they try to silence us, and us being all together just makes that movement all the more powerful to where we can get everyone to wake up and all be fighting together. Yeah, I, I could not agree with you uh, more that the truckers have kind of um, become kind of an umbrella for all of the different groups out there. And it's so visible. I mean, you can't miss an 18-wheeler. It's so big. Uh, but this whole convoy concept, which obviously started in Canada uh, and spilled over here into the United States. But before you joined the convoy as this public expression against government overreach, you were actually involved in your own lawsuit defending the rights of medical personnel. Yes, exactly. We had about 188, if I recall, uh, medical providers 
only a few physicians, but many nurses and other practitioners uh, in the state of Minnesota. And we had some good, good effect out of that and that pretty well all of the participants in that and their systems were, were granted their religious exemptions. And so while we ended up you know, losing a bit of our standing, and so we pulled back our lawsuit for a time, it did have a, a great effect and let them know that you know, we're not just going to roll over, but they can't coerce, scare, threaten us into slowly you know, getting on this injection uh, schedule of theirs with this mRNA-based therapy. Uh, so, Dr. Williams, I'm going to shift now to the to the convoy. You just joined it yesterday. I'm sure your job is not to make sure any of the truckers are sleeping at the wheel as an anesthesiologist. But let, let me uh, let, let me ask you this question about what's it like? What's it? I mean, are you are you surprised at what you're seeing? Oh, it is absolutely incredible. I can't even tell you there. Every single I think we went probably close to 100 uh, overpasses. Not one did not have people on there waving flags cheering uh, with trucks with there was even a, a helicopter that was flying a giant flag alongside the highway on the way it has been absolutely phenomenal and and for me knowing kind of how much support is really out there but it's so muted this is a way that people can get out there people can express their support they can find all those like-minded patriots and they can express that without as much fear of retribution you know whereas physicians and other people, we have our jobs and our, our careers threatened immediately once you speak out. And even, you know, people at their own their own work, whatever type of work they do, it doesn't matter. But here's a place where they can come together. And so the amount of support has just been tremendous. And they thought, oh, you know, you go through a blue state like Illinois, that there's not going to be a lot of people there. Oh, no, there were so many people there at every single overpass along the sides of the road. If they had a house, they were sitting on their front porch, waving flags and waving. It's just been phenomenal. And it's so encouraging because, you, as you said, you realize you're not alone, that you are in the majority. And this is I want to go back to something you said, because it is, it is so important and people need to realize this. This is what's happening in America. It's muted. The, the, the mute button is pushed by the media. The media does not want the rest of America to see and experience what you have seen in the last 24 hours. Because if they did, just as you are, Dr. Williams, you'd be in, they would be encouraged and they would be strengthened in their stand for their rights. And the left does not want that. They are afraid of that. Absolutely. That's a million percent correct. And when people start to understand that this is an illusion, right? It's an illusion that the medical field is all in lockstep uh, consensus and agreement with all that's going on and with the COVID narrative and with the mRNA-based injection narrative and all that. It's not even remotely true. You know, you have Yemeni that have been out speaking and, you know, all the different organizations and people who have been speaking here as well. And they've just been the bold and the brave and, and amazing, just incredible people. But we also have thousands behind the scenes that have not been able to speak out because they know as soon as they do, even online, the state medical boards have already threatened right. our licenses before. And so there's this illusion that the public gets that, you know, that there's a consensus. No, there's nowhere near it. And we have every type of physician, whether you're talking about a neurosurgeon, a pediatrician, anesthesiologist, ENTs, OBGYNs, you name it, plastic surgeons everything. We have all these people that speak together behind the scenes and are working together that, that people need to know that. And the same thing, that illusion still applies 
um, with their feeling, you know, they try to make everyone feel powerless, but really we have right. the power. You we are really absolutely have right. Um, final question for you, Dr. Williams, we're up against a break. How long are you going to be with the convoy? Are you going to make your way all the way to the uh, D.C. area? I would love to, but I have to head back uh, tomorrow afternoon. So I'm going to stay through the rally tonight and into the morning and, and support. And then I'll be following along the rest of the way from home. All right. Very good. Dr. Williams, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you for your stand for freedom. Thank you, Tony. All right, folks, don't go away. Coming up, we'll go back to the president's State of the Union address that he gave last night, and we'll talk with Senator Marco Rubio and see what his take was on the president's comments. In particular, we'll focus once again on Ukraine, what is unfolding there. We'll also get his take on how this might embolden China. All of that and more coming up right after the break. Don't go away. Here's Dan Celia with today's Stewardship Moment. As stewards, we should ask ourselves, in what way can I best serve my master with what he has given me and placed under my management? That should be the question that governs all of our actions when it comes to being trustees of that which we have been blessed with. Matthew 3.8 asks, Will a man rob God? In 1 Corinthians 4.2, it says this, It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We need to keep this question before us. In what way can I best serve my master? You've just heard a stewardship moment with Dan Celia of Financial Issues Ministry, helping you plan, give, and invest wisely. For more information, log on to financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org. We've always had an interest. God has given us a gift of being able to help a lot of people with their finances and budgets and stuff. AFA supporters Bernie and Alice Larson met Dania at a Faith, Family, and Finance town hall meeting. And he answered some questions, and we were thinking about the charitable gift annuities, and we'd never heard of that before, but we thought, well, we'd always wanted to leave some of our money with for God, but we didn't know where or how. And it, we felt like this was put into our laps as answer to our prayers as to what we could do after we're gone. Bernie and Alice learned a charitable gift annuity from the AFA Foundation would provide them with a monthly income for life as well as supporting the American Family Association into the future. You can learn more about charitable gift annuities and other financial products at afafoundation.net or call 800-326-4543, extension 345. And you just can't outgive God. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. At the top of the program, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and I broke down parts of the president's State of the Union address last night, during which he uh, spoke very proudly of his administration's handling of the situation in Ukraine. That, of course, is not the only area where the president gave himself a not-so-deserved pat on the back. Here with me now to discuss some of the other parts of the president's address, as well as the situation that it continues to unfold in Ukraine, is Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. He is a he is the vice chair of the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee. He's on the Senate Appropriations Committee, the uh, Senate Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship. Uh, 
Uh, he's the vice chair of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Senator, uh, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, thanks for having me back, Tony. Let's jump uh, into this issue of, uh, of of Ukraine that has been unfolding in the last week um, and how the administration is addressing it. Well, I think it's interesting, right, that um, the first thing we did when we got back from recess in the Senate is a vote on an abortion on demand bill basically would wipe out by federal law any restrictions of any kind on abortion. So basically, you know, abortion six, seven months into a pregnancy when a child is viable and the like. So I just think it tells you how messed up these people's uh, priorities are, uh, not to mention how macabre of a bill that is to turn that into federal law. They knew it wouldn't pass, but they wanted to have the vote anyway. That said, look, I... I, I, I want to just I want to add to that because I think it's it's very very important. I talked about this yesterday on the program. What a contrast between the two parties, and and it was on full display there. But yet uh, Senator Schumer pushed forward, as you said, knowing they didn't have the votes to pass it. But yet it is revealing about the priorities of the two parties. Yeah. So you know, right now we know the Biden administration has made a request for additional funds to provide not just for refugees but weapons and other munitions to the Ukrainian that are bravely fighting, that should have been the first thing on the floor. We know what the plan entails. They can just put that up. We probably won't get to that until the week after next or what have you, and that's that's too late probably at that point. You ask about their, their handling of it. Look, in times of crisis like this, I always try to pull my punches simple because I, I don't want to sort of anybody any encouragement uh, thinking that we're divided here. I will say we could do more. I do wish that the, something that Biden just won't do because the left wing of his party won't allow him to do it, and maybe he doesn't want to do it either, and that is increase American oil and gas production. We, we right. By 2018, we produced more oil. We exported more oil than we imported, and that has now flipped around. And so even as he announces he's releasing 60 million barrels from the reserve, half of those 60 million barrels are um, – are from foreign sources. So he needs to reverse that. He won't do it, obviously, because of the Green New Deal uh, fanatics. But um, that's something we could do. And, and, and I really think we need to be providing uh, more information about troop movements and the like to, the, to Ukraine so that they can be more effective in fighting these, uh, these invaders off. Uh, Senator, was Russia prepared for these sanctions? You know, the president talked about it last night, putting the squeeze on their economy. But you have to think that uh, Vladimir Putin knew that this might be an outcome and, and he was prepared for that. So I think Putin looked at a couple things, right? He looked at the price of energy uh, and, and how dependent Europe is on it. I think he viewed, for example, France as distracted by its elections, and the U.S. is not just divided politically but preoccupied with China. And he figured this is probably his last best chance to you know, take back parts or all of Ukraine or at least have a vassal state there and restore greater Russia because he views himself as this great historic figure. And, what and he knew that there'd be some economic pain, uh, but I think he calculated this invasion would move quicker. Zelensky and the government would just abandon post and take off, and that they would be there pretty quickly and, and you know take control of the country pretty quickly without much of a fight. I think he thought he'd be greeted as a liberator in many places. And I think he expected there would be sanctions, but I don't think he thought they would be as widespread as, as they've now become, which includes everything, you know, from, you know, obviously being cut off of the international banking system all the way to the inability to fly anywhere. I mean, they literally have no westward uh, path to a flight, uh, which really complicates things for them. So uh, their economy is in free fall. I think a week from now, you're going to have a very serious crisis in the Russian economy, and I don't think he anticipated that or 
uh, the resistance he's met and, and, and how badly his forces have performed in the face of it. So, Senator, how long do you think this war uh, could go on? Well, I think it's, it, Putin has some clear military objectives, and he's going to, he's willing to kill civilians and commit war crimes to achieve them. Um, so I think he'll push through until that happens. I think the, the problem he has is he can't win. He's either going to have a very bloody and protracted and costly military engagement, or uh, he's going to have a very long quagmire uh, occupation where the locals are going to be taking shots at him and Russians are going to be coming home dead every day. So he's, he's, he's an, and his economy is in free fall because these sanctions that have been imposed aren't going away anytime soon. So he's got some real challenges right now. Uh, Senator, I also want to get your uh, thoughts on whether or not he stops with Ukraine. Is there the potential that he moves beyond Ukraine? Well, I think the thing I'd keep an eye on is how far west he goes in Ukraine, because if it, if, if it brings him up across that region that borders uh, Transnistria, which is a disputed territory within the, that the world recognizes as being part of Moldova. So that, that, uh, that's something to re- really keep an eye on. And, and then obviously, you know, how far west does he go? How close does he get to that Polish border as an example? Because the, the further west he goes, uh, the closer he gets to, to uh, NATO troop presence, and, and then the more opportunity exists for that. And then there's Kaliningrad, which is this piece of Russia that's not contiguous. And the only way to supply it and get there is by flying, is by driving through this corridor between Poland and Lithuania, right. both NATO countries. So those are things I keep an eye on in the immediate future. All right, Senator, we're up against a break. Uh, Stick around with us, if you would, because I I got two more questions for you. And one pertains to something I know you're passionate about. That is the country of China and what they're doing in in wake of this. Folks, I'm talking to uh, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. He joins us again after the break. So don't go away. We come back with more Washington Watch right after this. Research Council has a passion for developing the next generation, both professionally and spiritually. That is why we offer our FRC internship program to university students. Throughout the 12 to 15 week internship program, students will have the opportunity to work alongside FRC's experts and develop their professional and interpersonal skills. This paid internship is in the heart of our nation's capital and provides students a unique chance to explore their interests while also aiding FRC in advancing faith, family, and freedom. With over six interest areas to work in, students are partnered with a professional team that matches their passions and strengths. They will go through career and calling trainings and biblical worldview training to prepare them to make a kingdom difference wherever the Lord calls them. Learn more and apply at frc.org internships. Hi, this is Frank Turek. If you want to be better equipped to defend the truth and goodness of the gospel in a world filled with pandemics and natural disasters and utter confusion, join me, Richard Howe, Edward Graham, Hugh Ross, Jay Warner Wallace, and even John Cooper from Skillet at the 28th Annual National Conference on Christian Apologetics. It's April 8 to 9, but seats are limited, so register by going to ses.edu. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central 
as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. Hi, I'm Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. 8 Days of Hope exists to love and serve those in need. Over the past 15 years, over 40,000 volunteers have helped 7,000 families rebuild their homes for free after natural disasters. We've also renovated and rebuilt facilities to bring hope and healing to those rescued from sex trafficking. Our rapid response ministry is busier than ever. With 40 deployments over the last four years, we've been able to minister to so many when it mattered most. It's completely free to serve with us. We provide your food and lodging when you volunteer. There's countless opportunities for any skill set and any skill level. We spend multiple weeks with those that have lost so much by cutting trees, tarping roofs, mucking out houses, and so much more. Consider joining us on our next outreach. You will never be the same. For more information about 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this Wednesday edition. Again, uh, we're at First Liberty in uh, Dallas. Appreciate all the work they do and for hosting us as well. Uh, Joining me, Marco Rubio. He is the senator from Florida, the uh, ranking or the, I should say, the senior senator, senator from Florida. He's also the vice chair of the uh, Select Committee on uh, Intelligence. Uh, senator, uh, before the break, we were discussing Ukraine, we're discussing where Putin may go. Um, let me ask you this question. As the United States has pledged to provide material to material to uh, the Ukrainian forces, we see now the tactics of Putin is encircling these major cities. Is there a plan to get that material into them if they are cut off by Russian forces? There isn't, and it's something that the that the world needs to start coming to grips with, and that is he may have a he, he's about to stage his looks like his plan is to impose a medieval a medieval type siege on a city, which means you basically starve people uh, right. into submission, and uh, and the world has to start thinking about what options do we have to break it? Is it working through religious organizations to, to open up a humanitarian corridor? Is it the use of unmanned vehicles to airdrop in uh, supplies, which was done by some non-government organizations in Syria? Uh, I'm, I'm working on a proposal that I want to present to the White House and hoping they'll consider it. But but we you can't just sit by and watch that happen. I mean, and, and I'm not claiming our options are easy uh, and not without difficulties and even some potential complications and danger. But I think the world needs to ask itself, are we going to watch an entire city of, you know, three million people get starved to death? When you look at the forces that uh, Putin is using, and he's, he's not been using his, uh, his air power as much, is there something else at play here or any idea uh, in terms of U.S. intelligence trying to figure out what Putin is thinking? Well, it's not intelligence. I think what common sense. I think the problem he has, and by our, you know our Department of Defense has put this out, is that forty percent of Ukraine's um, uh, air defenses are still intact, and and they, they have stingers and things of this nature. And so I think there's real fear on the part of these planes are expensive, you know. And I think there's real fear on the part of, of Putin that to fly these things in and have them shot down. You know, they thought they were going to establish their superiority pretty quickly. 
in this contest, and that didn't happen. And so, and these are mobile launch. These are mobile launches, right? These are individuals out in the field. It's not like some fixed-based uh, situation, so they're hard to track down. So I think they're just afraid to fly them and lose them. So they've been trying to degrade that with missile strikes and things of that nature. But I think that element of it has, has gone away and, uh, for them. And, um, and so they're relying on some really destructive illegal munitions in many cases. And that's according to our own U.N. ambassador. Final question for you, Senator Marco Rubio. Um, you know, this is an issue that you've been tracking and working on very closely. And I've, in my role at uh, U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, I've worked with you on China, their humanitarian abuses of the Uyghurs and others. Uh, is there concern that uh, China may be doing other things in the wake of what is happening in Ukraine? Yeah, I think there's a couple things at play here. First of all, I think China's watching very carefully to see what happens when you invade another country or another uh, a territory that you claim to belong to you. Uh, at its core, Russia and China are making the same argument, and that is that they are great powers and that they have a right to create vassal states, uh, tributary states in their spheres of influence. Uh, there's also complications. I mean, China is the first to argue against separatists, whether they be in Tibet or Uyghur Muslims or Taiwan. They argue against, they're arguing always that their policy is non-interference, and yet here you have their allies in Russia targeting, uh, supporting separatists. So uh, I would argue that if it's okay for Putin to support Russian-speaking fake separatists in Ukraine, then why shouldn't the world support uh, uh, the legitimate elected government of Taiwan who doesn't want to be a part of China. And since if they're going to recognize, uh, if they're going to support Russia's claim that these areas are independent of Ukraine, then why shouldn't the world start to consider uh, supporting Taiwan, saying that they're independent of China? So they've got some thinking to do in that regard. All that said, I still think that if they can get away with it, China's going to try to help Russia evade sanctions. Uh, without uh, impose, without uh, incurring sanctions of their own. And that's something we need to really keep an eye on and start thinking about how to keep that from happening. Are we sending the right messaging when it comes to China right now with how we're handling the UK, Ukrainian crisis? Yeah, I think the Chinese have probably been shocked by the amount of global response to what's happened. But I also think they feel comfortable that their economy, you know, China, you know, Russia's economy, is, I think their GDP is the same as uh, some of our states. I mean, it's a $2 trillion economy. It's the size of Italy, so it's not a big economy. China's is a much bigger economy. Our corporate class, our businesses, it's uh, much more ingrained there than they are in Russia. And I think they feel like that economic power insulates them from some of the things that's happening to Russia right now. And, and if they can break that international system and create an alternative one uh, that Russia benefits from, I think they'll really feel good about that and, and won't feel as limited about it. All right. Senator Marco Rubio, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, all you provide leadership to on Capitol Hill. Faith, family, and freedom. Grateful for you. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Anytime. Senator Marco Rubio of uh, Florida. Of course, one of the topics the president spoke about last night was uh, COVID. In fact, you would think that he, it was all his idea that we wanted to do away with masks and we wanted to move on and get back to normal, open up our schools. Uh, again, I think this was more speaking to the poll driven messaging than it was to the conviction coming out of this administration. But I want to play this clip of uh, what he had to say last night on this uh, clip. Number 12, please. Let's use this moment to reset. So stop looking at COVID as a partisan dividing line. See it for what it is, a god-awful disease. Let's stop sending each, seeing each other as enemies. 
to start seeing each other for who we are, fellow Americans. We can't change how divided we've been. It was a long time in coming. But we can change how to move forward on COVID-19 and other issues that we must face together. Well, joining me now is Michael Berry. He is Director of Military Affairs for First Liberty Institute and uh, just does a great job. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, the president last night, we just bring this clip as if he were extending an olive branch, you know, on the whole issue of COVID, the vaccine mandates, the mask, all this government overreach. But there, the administration's walk is not matching the president's talk. I mean, just this week on Monday, First Liberty secured a victory for Navy SEALs. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, nothing cures a pandemic quite like midterm, midterm elections, it seems. But, um, you know, I mean, to, the, to, to your point, Tony, uh, we've been fighting the administration tooth and nail, step by step, uh, against this vaccine mandate, specifically as it applies to people in our military, people serving our nation. You know, I, I know I you know, heard your remarks about Ukraine with Senator Rubio. Obviously, at a time like this, and it, with all the threats to America and American interests around the world, you would think that the Department of Defense would want to be welcoming people with the type right. of elite skills that our Navy SEALs have. Instead, they're continuing to try to kick them out because of their religious beliefs. And so First Liberty has been fighting that. We actually secured a victory uh, at the district court, uh, a preliminary injunction, which is an order from the judge telling the Navy, stop punishing them. You can't kick them out because of their religious beliefs. The Department of Justice, who's representing the Navy, appealed that. They filed an emergency appeal to the Fifth Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And just a few days ago, the Fifth Circuit uh, upheld the district court's ruling. So again, delivered another victory for First Liberty and our Navy SEALs. But you would think if, if the administration, as the president said last night, you know, hey, there are things that divide us. We can be unified going forward. You would think now with the science showing that the vaccine uh, is not the cure all. In fact, it, uh, it doesn't prevent people from getting it. We see all, all these breakthrough cases. We actually now have studies that show that natural immunity, those who have had the virus, actually provide greater elasticity in terms of protecting against future variants. We're talking about young, healthy individuals. Uh, They're at a a minimal risk uh, if they contract COVID because they're in the military. They're in shape. I mean, this makes no sense. To me, one of the best illustrations of just how insane the administration has become on this, one of the people who was in the audience last night at the State of the Union, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, right. who is admittedly vaccinated and I think triple boosted, right, and has worn a both a mask and sort of a, a plastic face shield, right? So, so vaccinated, triple boosted, maxed, masked and shielded, and yet he still got COVID. And and this was the kicker. The Department of Defense issued a statement that said that the secretary was going to be performing his duties remotely. All right. Well, boy, wouldn't it sure be nice if they would allow that same privilege to members of our military, uh, like our Navy SEALs and, and many others who, if they get COVID, that's one of the arguments we've made is, look, if the secretary of defense is able to perform his duties remotely, why can't members of the military do theirs remotely? And, you know, there's this old old fashioned notion that, uh, you know, you're supposed to 
do as, as your leadership does, or when you're in a position of leadership, you're supposed to set the example. You know, Mike, this is really, and it goes beyond the military, but it's the issue of fear. And, and this is the, you know, if, if anything, our military should be communicating courage, strength in the face of adversity. And I actually found a very interesting transition of the president in his speech last night where he was talking about Ukraine and the, the heroic actions of President Zelensky, who, quite frankly, is you know a modern day Braveheart, I think. But his stand and then he goes to the economic pain of Americans. We're suffering nothing compared to the Ukrainian people, but we're gripped with this fear that we've we've hidden in our houses for the last two years. And it's time, I think, for the leadership of this country to boldly stand and say, look, we cannot hide from this. And I do think, and I know this is it's not the subject of our of our segment here, but I think there's an underlying spiritual issue here, a fear of the unknown. And this is where I believe I'm very concerned about our military. It does tie into this segment. I'm very concerned about our military because I see this driving out many men and women of faith from our military, which historically have provided the bulk of men and women who are willing to lay down their lives for others. You know, you're exactly right. It does tie into the SEALs case, this notion of fear, right? This, our nation and our, especially our leadership, our elected leaders being driven by fear. And the fear is this, right? And, and, and it ties into what's happening in Ukraine, because if you, I, I know people, as I know you do as well, who lived in Eastern Europe during the times of totalitarian regimes, religious freedom is always one of the first flashpoints in those regimes because the one thing a totalitarian or an authoritarian will never tolerate is people who say, I submit to a higher authority than whoever this government official or this dictator is. And I think it's that same spirit. It might not be to the same degree, but it's that same spirit that's happening in our military when they realize that the people who are saying, I don't want this vaccine are the people who say, because I have a religious objection. This is my deepest held conviction in my conscience and in my soul. And it tells me I can't get this vaccine. And I don't care how many stars you have on your collar or what your title is. You can't order me to do something that violates my beliefs. And the military says, we will not tolerate that. We're going to kick you out. We're going to punish you. And that's exactly what's happening. I actually think that's a really good analogy, a parallel, because it hasn't been talked about a lot, but I think that's part of Putin's problem with Ukraine. You know, Ukraine uh, is the country in Eastern Europe that sends out more missionaries than any other country in Europe. I mean, there is a strong, vibrant church there. And, and I actually was involved. Uh, I, I actually trained some of the first uh, law enforcement officers that came out of uh, Eastern Europe when the wall came down back in the, uh, the late 80s, early 90s, um, when I was working with the State Department. I'll never forget having uh, Polish officers come in who had never seen a Bible. Uh, and we gave them, uh, I gave them personally, I got a, this was an issue with the government, but it was my personally provided Bibles that I gave to these in their language. And I have never seen such a response. And I think that's in part what is driving the Ukrainians to stand so firmly. And I think it's the same element in our military. And we, if we lose that, I am very concerned about our national security, the future of our military and our country, if we drive those people of faith out. This is about the soul of our military and the soul of our country, I would even say, because if you, if somebody who is in a position of authority, right, you've served in the military, I've served, we both know that if somebody in a position of authority says, 
I'm ordering you to do this. And the person says, well, wait a minute. First of all, I think that violates the Constitution. Second, that violates my religious beliefs. And the person in authority says, I don't care. Do it or else. You've now shattered whatever trust exists between the superior and the subordinate. And that trust, that special bond of trust is absolutely essential for a military to function. And if we lose that, we're going to lose the soul of our military and we're going to be left with nothing more than a hollowed out shell of what we once knew. Well, Michael Berry, appreciate what you do and First Liberty does on behalf of our nation's military. Final question for you, because we're up against the end of the program, but based on the president's comments last night and and the polling and the trending, do you, do you anticipate a change by this administration toward the military? Well, if they don't do it voluntarily, First Liberty is going to force them to do it through, through litigation, as we have been. Uh, we know we continue to win these cases Right. Not just First Liberties. There are others that have been filed. They've been citing our case favorably. And so we know that there are cracks in the Department of Justice and the Department of Defense's foundation. You know, their legal defense that they've been putting up. And so we're going to continue to pound away until we get victory. And look, if 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 the president was smart um, and 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 he should be able to see the writing on the wall and say, you know what, I'm going to claim victory here. I'm going to lift the mandate and I'm going to be magnanimous about it. And then we can all move on. Well, if he doesn't and you continue to pound, we're there with you. We appreciate all that you do. Thanks so much for hosting us today. Absolutely. And folks, thank you for joining us as well. Always great to be with you. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com for more info. And until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.